How many of you got sent to Home Depot yesterday? Anybody? No, come on, or Lowe's? Nobody. A Saturday in August and nobody got sent? Okay, well. All right. I often get sent to Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, I often get sent back to Home Depot or Lowe's because I forgot something or got the wrong thing. Um, how many of you are getting ready to send kids back to school? Yes, send kids back to school. Um, there are those of us in this space who our government has sent overseas to protect and to serve our country. Um, we send teams around the world. We send teams to Bridgeport. We send teams to Philadelphia. We send teams to Kenya. All of those things, there is a sender, there is a purpose, and there's something at stake. And as we continue this morning in our teaching series on, on the gospel of Matthew, we are looking specifically at the directional commands that Jesus has for us. And for the third time in nine chapters, we hear Jesus say to someone, follow me. And every time that Jesus says, follow me, it is, it's an invitation to him, and it's an invitation to his mission. It's an invitation to him, a relationship with him, and it's an invitation to join him in his mission. And his mission has a couple different parts. And this morning, specifically, we're going to talk about what it means to live a sent life. A sent life, S-E-N-T. I know I'm using a part of speech there that I shouldn't, but that's what we're calling it, a sent life. Um, we're going to jump right in and we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. Your, if you have subtitles in your Bible, it will say something like the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house... Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So, um, Matthew was a tax collector, and it feels like over the course of the last couple of months, we've talked a lot about these guys' tax collectors. Um, so I'm going to try and pull out a couple of different things of this role of tax collector that we might not have, we might not have touched on over the course of the last couple of months. So Matthew probably was by himself. He was probably sitting at a booth by himself somewhere busy. Uh, scholars tell us that he was either at the docks uh, by, the, by the lake as uh, trade was coming in, or he was at one of the entrance gates to the city. It was someplace busy with lots of people, but he was by himself. He, he had to interact with people, but my guess is most people weren't very happy to see him. I mean, none of us are crazy about paying taxes, right? But at least now we know, to some extent, we're not getting fleeced by the tax collector. The way the taxes in this part of the world at this time in history worked was Matthew and his other tax collector buddies would bid. There was a contract system, and they would bid. Um, they would submit bids to the Roman government. They would submit bids to the Roman government. Put down for me. 
that did just go out, right? It's not me that just lost part of my hearing. Okay. All right. Um, and they would pay. So say um, I want to be the tax collector for Trumbull, and I would bid $100 for the taxes in Trumbull. And that's what the Roman, he, I would pay the government up front. But then I was free to turn around and collect whatever I could, whatever I wanted to, from the citizens. Here's the thing about this, though. Nobody questioned it, because while Matthew sat alone at the tax collector's booth, he had the Roman army standing behind him. Nobody would not pay the taxes because they didn't want to feel the wrath of the Roman army. What Matthew was doing, Matthew was, he was stifling trade, right? So people would not want to come through there because they would have to pay his, his jacked up tax rates. Um, he was taking advantage of already impoverished people. He was siding with an oppressive um, occupying government. Matthew was basically ancient day mafia. He was organized crime and he was taking advantage of, of everybody. Um, the other thing that I, I think we, we see, we learn about Matthew if we read between the lines a little bit is he, I think he was pretty hard hearted. And the reason, the reason I say that is because he's sitting at his booth doing his thing, essentially stealing from people, and Jesus is off doing his thing. If we, this is um, Matthew 4, 24. It says, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. It, right before, in the, in the first eight verses of chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He was teaching in a room so full that people ripped the roof off and lowered this guy down to Jesus so Jesus could heal him. And Matthew is not, not really budged. He's still at his booth doing his own thing for him by himself. So I think that would make for a pretty, a pretty, lonely, um, a pretty lonely existence. But if it were me, I'd be like, man, what, what do I have to do to get this guy's attention? What do I have to do to get him to budge? But Jesus, just like Gail shared with us last week, Jesus knew the hearts of the people that he was talking to. And he knew Matthew's heart. And he knew all he had to do was say to Matthew, follow me. In that, he invited Matthew into a relationship with him and he gave him a purpose all at the same time, a purpose that was greater than himself, a purpose that was greater than money, a purpose that would last on into eternity. Matthew and us, we are meant to live with and for Jesus, and we're meant to live with and for others, right? We shorten that up, love God, love others. That's why, that's why we were created. I think, um, so I think Matthew's existence was, was a lonely one. And Jesus has this incredible, incredible heart for the disconnected and for the lonely and for the disenfranchised and those people who are marginalized and, and pushed to the side. And every once in a while, well, Scripture tells us that um, 
that the Lord confides in those who fear him. And every once in a while, I feel like God shares a little bit of his heart with me. And I say a little bit because I think that's all I'm capable of. Because uh, if he shared much more with me, I think I would crumble into a, to a million pieces. <clears throat> um, a couple of weeks ago, I got invited to a poetry reading. And I know, Tom at a poetry reading, like prom dress on a pig, I get it. But nonetheless, there I was. I was at, I was at a poetry reading. And the, it was in this cool little coffee house in downtown New Haven. And the, where I was seated, 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 um, I was kind of in the back of the room, and the, the poet was about where Virginia is, and there were these open French doors that opened up to a courtyard. And so the poetry reading started, and it was I was trying to pay attention as best I could and track with everything. Um, but then I noticed there was a man, a young, youngish man, who was walking through the courtyard. And I could tell by, he, he wasn't really going anywhere. He didn't really have anywhere to go. But he looked like he was carrying the, the weight of the world on his shoulders. And as I sat there, and in the days since, um, my heart is just broke for this man. Because God shared with me in that moment that the weight on his shoulders was loneliness. And he wasn't going to anywhere. He was trying to escape from his own thoughts. And I think there was nothing I could do, right? I was seated at the back of the room. The, there was a poet reading while this was going on, kind of did just become inaudible uh, white noise. I couldn't do, I couldn't do anything in that moment, but I think God wanted me to feel what he feels when he looks and he sees his children, people who are disconnected, people who aren't in a community, people who don't know him. And I also think that God, being God, knew that I was preaching these verses this morning. And that was, that's for somebody who's here, right? God did not create you to live alone. He did not create you to live disconnected. He did not create you to live isolated. He created you to live in relationship with him and to live in relationship with a community of people who love Jesus and who love, who love you. And that, um, that idea, like that's what Jesus did for Matthew. He took this disconnected, self-centered guy and he said, follow me. And he invited him into a relationship and he invited him into mission. He told him, you are now going to live a sent life. He took Matthew, and he took the skills that Matthew had. Matthew, to be a tax collector, he had to keep books. He had to be detail-oriented. He, um, he had to be an educated man. And he took Matthew, and Matthew recorded one of the four Gospels, the details of Jesus' life for us and for all of history. And he sent him, he, he sent him to other tax collectors and sinners. That's part of what sent, a sent life means. It means it, God takes you and he takes your skills, the abilities, the gifts that you already have. And he has you use them for him and for his glory. Matthew took the things that he was using for his own purposes and his own pleasure. And he began to use them for God. Think about how many people over the course of history 
have read the words that Matthew wrote some 2,000 years ago. God and all things with Jesus, it's never about, it was never just about Matthew. Jesus said, follow me to Matthew so he could reach other tax collectors. He reached the tax collector so he could reach tax collectors. He reaches the broken so he can reach the broken. He reaches people who are sick and hurting to reach other people who are sick and hurting. It's never just about that person. So this idea of Ascent Life is, is taking where we are and who we are and having eyes open for where Jesus is already at work. So God is in the, the sending business. I want to I read to you another passage of scripture about someone who was sent. This is from, um, well, that's not it. All right, boy, I should talk to the person who put those slides together. That was really terrible. That was me. I put the slides together. Okay, so this is um, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, Nate, could you drive for me while I'm reading this? Thank you. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they were covered, their faces with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah had an encounter, a mind boggling encounter with the God of the universe. And in that encounter, he recognized who Jesus is and all his splendor and all his might and these crazy creatures flying around and all they did, their job is to worship Jesus. And Isaiah's reaction was, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve this. I can't, I can't do this. And as God always does, he took the initiative and he reached out to Isaiah through the seraphim and he made Isaiah clean. Isaiah discovered the reality of the identity of the God of the universe and he discovered, he discovered the reality of who he was. And the result was he wanted to live a sent life. He said, here I am, send me. Ascent life. Matthew had an encounter with Jesus. A little more of the everyday kind. There weren't six-winged creatures flying about his tax booth. But he had an encounter with Jesus. And as a result, Matthew went on to live ascent life. 
Isaiah ended up being one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And, and constantly through God, through Isaiah, was trying to redirect the people of Israel back to God. Matthew has an encounter with Jesus, recognizes Jesus, recognizes who he is, a sinner, and then he does the same thing. He wants to live that sent life, and he does it with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that he already has. So God, the Gospels tell us, all four Gospels say this, that um, God sent Jesus and that Jesus then in turn sends us. Man, I did a really bad job with the slides. I'm sorry. Um, in John 20, verse 21, the verse says, as God sent me, so I send you. God sent Jesus to represent him. Jesus sends us to represent him. So we go and we live this sent life. The sent life means God has you where you are and when you are on purpose. Nate, can you put that Acts 17 back up? From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God has you when and where he wants you. It's no mistake that you live in Trumbull or that you live in Stratford or that you live in Bridgeport or Fairfield or wherever you happen to live. God knew that was going to be the case. God knew the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you were going to have. He knew the bumps and bruises that you were going to have. He has that knowledge, and he has sent Jesus into the world ahead of us. Jesus, through his spirit, is always, always at work, trying to work in people and through people to reach more people. So we take the, this idea, the sovereignty of God, that he's in control, that he has us when and where he wants us, that he's wired us the way that he wants us, and we take the fact that Jesus is always at work through his Holy Spirit, and we get this idea that a very smart man named Mike Breen came up with called person of peace. A person of peace is someone that doesn't yet know Jesus. A person of peace is someone who God is at work on through their circumstances, through the people in their lives, maybe through scripture, but God is already at work in that person, and God is pointing us, pointing you, pointing me to that person. A person of peace may be, it might be just a, a chance encounter in line at a grocery store, but usually uh, a, an encounter with a person of peace is someone that you see every day, a coworker, a classmate, a teammate. It's somebody that you're aware of. It's someone who is open to uh, spiritual conversations. It's someone who will ask questions about, um, about your faith. It's someone who may even pursue you. God is doing the work. We need to keep our eyes open, keep our eyes fixed on him, and plead with him that we, could, we can see where he's at work and then join him, have the courage to join him in, in
in that work. So I'm going to ask you to do something here in a second. Um, Person of peace, kind of succinctly put by Mike Breen, it was Jesus' idea. Luke chapter 9, chapter 10, I think, uh, in the very first couple of verses, he, he talks to, he's sending out the 72 to go share his love, share his grace, teach his word, heal. Uh, and he says, you know, if you go into a town, you let your peace go to them. If it sits on them and they receive you, let your peace stay there. They're a person of peace. If not, shake the dust off your clothes and move on. Um, our goal here at Crossroads, we want to live like Jesus lived. Jesus looked up, he leaned in, and he reached out. If we take that seriously, this specifically this morning talks about that reach out part. Right? If we take that seriously, our goal of doubling our impact is, is small. It feels big, but it's small. Um, and it's because we would live like Jesus and, and follow him and join him in his work. Now, to what I'm going to ask you to do, if you are able, I would like you to get up and situate yourselves so there's an empty chair in between each one of you. Okay? I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. If, you're, if for whatever reason you can't move, please don't, don't feel obligated. At least one empty chair in between you. Yeah, if the, you can take the ropes down for this part. Wow, I thought that was going to take a lot longer. Well done. Give yourself a round of applause. Good job, good job. Um, I wanted to give us a visual of what, of what doubling our impact looks like. And I had this thought. Doubling our impact sounds self-serving. It sounds like we're all about numbers. It sounds like we just want people so we can say there's 200 people here. That's not at all why we want to double our impact. I said earlier that Jesus has this heart for the lonely and for the disconnected and for the broken. As you're sitting there, I want you to keep an eye on one of those empty chairs that's next to you. Those empty chairs, when they're filled, represent one less lonely person. It represents one less person struggling with addiction on their own. It represents one less single mom trying to figure out how she's gonna raise and feed her kids by herself. It represents one less set of parents who are more concerned about their kids' grades than about their kids' relationship with Jesus. Those seats, those chairs represent one less person struggling with mental illness who think they did something to deserve it. Those seats are one less person who doesn't know Jesus. Here's the thing about one less. One less 
doesn't happen unless you speak up. You've got, we have got to speak up and we've got to share the love of Jesus and we got, we've got to teach his message. And as Patrick shared with you in his spoiler alert, that sounds a lot like evangelism. That sounds like I'm asking you to try to bring people to Jesus who don't believe in Jesus. They believe in something else right now or nothing. And at this point in history, more than any other time in history, there's a growing number of people who think that's wrong. Um, especially as it's going to be hard to see this, but those colors represent different age groups. The orange colors are millennials and then Gen X and then boomers and then elders. That first question is, I think it's wrong to share my faith with somebody hoping that they would agree with me and come to the same faith. 47% of millennials think it's wrong to try to share your faith with somebody so that they might come to know Jesus. 40% of millennials, that next question down, it, think that if you disagree with me, that means you're judging me. And the same thing, the, the categories are the same going across. Gen X, boomers, elders. So I want to say a couple things about this chart. Um, first, there are perhaps no two people in the world who will disagree more than a parent and a child. Am I right? Okay. So, as a matter of fact, if parents didn't disagree with their children, most children wouldn't live to see the age of five. My kids wouldn't have made it to three. I don't, I, um, sometimes disagreement equals love. Sometimes disagreement equals love. Second thing about this chart. Again, we're at this really unique point in, in history where the extreme outliers of any group are taken to represent the group as a whole. People look at the folks from West, Westboro Baptist Church who picket the funerals of dead homosexual servicemen and women and they think, I think the same thing they do. And that creates this deal where it creates judgment where it doesn't exist they think that I'm judging them because these extreme outliers who have the same name as I do believe that. And lastly, evangelism is not about winning an argument. You will never argue anyone into the kingdom of heaven. If you want to win an argument, join a debate team. If you want people to come to know Jesus, love them, period. I want to I wanna offer you two, um, two things, a conversation and a connection to kind of move us beyond this chart and this point in history. There's a, uh, a guy in Canada who runs a, a Christian business. He uh, actually created the, one of the websites that that we use to host our, our .info site. Um, 
and he, he shared kind of this new um, thought process to think about sharing our faith in this, this world that we live in now. And there's kind of three different things. And the first one is that you're in a conversation with somebody and the idea of religion or faith comes up or Jesus comes up. And the first point is that I believe that we were all put here to make the world a better place. Very few people who are going to disagree with that. I believe what makes the world a better place, thing number two, is love. Specifically, sacrificial love. And the last thing, the perfect example of sacrificial love is Jesus, is the Jesus of the Bible. And that conversation is such that it opens the door for a response. It's not threatening. It, um, it tries to meet people where they're at in that, in that sense of uh, common ground and to move, to move on um, from there. After you have that conversation, um, everybody, each one of us, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, Buddhist, whatever, we were all created with this deep-seated desire and need for community and for relationship. And community does a couple of different things. Uh, being in a community where you have a sense of belonging opens you up to the transfer of beliefs. If someone is welcomed into a group and they're accepted and they're greeted and they're checked up upon, there's going to be something intriguing about that. It's different. It's vastly different from the, what the rest of the world thinks and does and how they act. It's going to draw people in. Even, even today, where our part of the world is increasingly more and more unchurched, dechurched, post-churched, um, people know that one of the options they have if they want to discover things like um, meaning and destiny is they could come to a church. What is often missed and people don't readily recognize is there's um, there these things called middle needs, everyday needs, right? Uh, author by the name of George Hunter um, describes them as... Um, it's anxiety, basically, it's anxiety about the near future. It's anxiety about the present day. And it's anxiety about the past. He says it more eloquently than that, but that's generally the idea. To put it in more concrete terms, to put it in ways that we might be able to wrap our brains around, the anxiety about the present future. What if I don't get into the college that I want to get into? The concern about a present crisis. My kid vapes like a chimney and I don't know what to do about it. The worry about the past. My childhood was all kinds of screwed up. How do I make sure that that doesn't haunt me into adulthood? When someone is welcomed into a community of Christ followers, they are given, they're provided an alternative to what the world would suggest to them as solutions to that. Mm -hmm. 
Oprah, the self-help section at Barnes and Noble, and you are enough memes are not enough for the realities of this life. But the love of Jesus expressed in a community of believers is. We want to make people feel like they belong so they can have a chance to believe. So that the beliefs of people who've been walking with Jesus for short or long can be transferred. So those everyday needs, those things that keep us awake at night, can be met by the people who are going to be sitting in those seats. One of the coolest um, days of the, on the calendar at Crossroads is when we do a baptism service at Great Hollow Lake. And a baptism is when we recognize when people come to know who Jesus is. When Jesus says, follow me, and they respond. And they become part of the community. And they commit to trying to live with and for Jesus as best they can. And trying to live with and for others as best they can. And we celebrate that. And we, that's coming up here in a couple weeks. On September 8th, we're going to be um, celebrating baptism at Great Hollow Lake. If you are interested in being baptized, if you have become part of this community and Jesus has done a work in your life and you recognize him for who he is and what he does and you want to make a public declaration of that, um, come talk to me. There's a, um, you can go to the website and you can just fill out that form real quick and we can get you hooked up with one of the leaders in the church and we can just have a conversation about what what it means to be baptized and the celebration that that, that is and the recognition of, of coming, to, coming to faith in Jesus. So um, somebody has an encounter with Jesus. You have, if you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to be sent. The call upon you is to lead a sent life. Wherever you are, right? Some, sure, yes, some of us will get sent around the world. Most of us, however, will get sent across the street. We have that encounter with Jesus and we plead with him. We keep our eyes fixed on him. We want to see where he's working in and around the people's lives, those people who are around us, and we want to join him in that work. We join him in that work by loving them like he loves them. And then we invite them into the community of faith at Crossroads so we might, as a community, help them move closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us um, to you, first and foremost, to a relationship with you, to your love and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that um, you give us a purpose, that you call us to share your mission that you send us, God, whether that is around the world, across the street, to the person who sits next to us in class, to the person who plays the position next to us on the field. God, open our eyes. Lord Jesus, we beg you, open our eyes so we might see where you're at work. And then, God, give us the courage to step into that work and do our part, do the part that you have called us to do. And then as a community, we might welcome people in. We might provide a sense of belonging. We might provide an alternative to what people see every day. A different way of life. Life with you and for you and with others and for others.
Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.